This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for September 7th, 2018. In this week's episode, Apple is expected to announce product and software updates at their September 12th event. We'll have a look at what may be coming. Plus, Twitter has new features in development that show your online presence. Will it be opt-in or opt-out? Apple's new App Store privacy policy, Policy. And iPhone 8 logic board troubles have finally been addressed with a free repair program. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Josh, I know you use Twitter. In fact, the other day I saw that you were interacting with some Twitter project managers or something. Are you trying to influence the way Twitter changes their app and their user experience? Well, perhaps. So th- this was kind of interesting. Jack at Twitter. Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter. Jack Dorsey's a big boss over there. And so he he tweeted about some features that are in development. And he linked to a tweet from uh, someone named Sarah Hader, who is a product manager kind of thing at, at Twitter. And she said in her tweet, Hey, Twitter, we've been playing with some rough features to make it feel more conversational here. Presence and reply threading. And she said it's still early. You know, we're we're kind of still in the development. And she gave a couple screenshots. Well, what she means by presence is an online status indicator that could potentially show up on your icon so that people would know when you're actively using Twitter at that moment. So what was kind of interesting about this is that, well, not everybody necessarily is going to want that, right? People, especially who are targets of harassment, you know, uh, don't want people to know when they're online. They also should be careful about automatically forcing this online status for everybody. Because we know that when a company introduces a new feature in a product and it is not opt-in, most people do not opt-out, and most people don't even know about the new feature. They don't read the release notes to the updates. And this is something that I think a lot of people would find somewhat creepy, that now anyone can just know when I happen to be using Twitter? I don't know if I like that. Add to that the fact that some people have Twitter post their location as well. Mm-hmm. So imagine that you've tweeted something and it not only says that you're online, but it says where you are. Now that where you are isn't necessarily precise. It might say New York City, but I know that you don't live in New York City. And that could tell some people that you're not home and that's dangerous. I asked directly to this product person about what does this mean exactly? I said, you know, it if Twitter is going to implement this feature, it should clearly be an opt-in feature, one that users would have to choose to enable because privacy and safety should be top priority for Twitter. And she responded, it's an early exploration, but yes, you would want to have full control over showing your presence. Now, full control is kind of ambiguous. What does that mean? I can turn it off if I want to, or I can turn it on if I want to. Graham Cluley, uh, who is a, a security journalist, was copied on that thread. And he said, does full control mean opt-in rather than opt-out? And she said, yes. So what she's saying is you would have to choose to enable this feature. So if we're trusting her, and I don't know what you know level of authority or decision-making she has at Twitter, but she is saying that if and when Twitter implements this online presence feature, that it's going to be something that you'll have to choose to enable. So 
that's good if they stick to that. And it is dangerous with any of these services to let people know you're online. I don't use Facebook Messenger, but I believe it tells when you're online. That's a little bit different because it's not public. You're only connected to people you're friends with. But something like Twitter or even Snapchat, if you're in a group in Snapchat, if it if people know you're online, as I said before, they might know where you are or where you're not or that they can try to harass you or, you know, this opens up all sorts of things. We don't want to be anonymous, but telling people that you are actually there, it's just, it's risky. And it's, most people won't realize this until something happens. So it does sound good. You know, it sounds like Twitter like has an understanding that this is probably not something that they should turn on by default. So in other privacy news, Apple has changed something in the app store. Starting in October, all new and updated apps will have to have a privacy policy. A privacy policy is simply a text saying how you're going to handle data. And I'm guessing that part of this is for GDPR, but also it's a sort of a general trend toward privacy policies, making them more common and standardized. Now, there's a problem with this because, you know, app developers don't know how to write a privacy policy document. So they go to a website where they click a few buttons and make some choices and it gets spit out for them. So they're not responsible for the content. They probably don't read it anyway. I know that WordPress offers something like this because I host a WordPress blog and at one point they said, hey, you might want to put this up, GDPR and all that. So I checked a few things, which of the WordPress features I use, because each ones have specific paragraphs, and, and I put up a privacy policy on my website. But I'm not a lawyer. I didn't really pay attention to that. It sounds to me like this is just a formality. Yeah, to, to some degree. I mean, what I think is really good about this is that I'm sure there are developers who don't really think about things like privacy. And so this is forcing them to have to, to think about, well, okay, I guess I do need to be informing my users of what it, what data this app is collecting and things like that. And, and it may not be a big deal to me. I might not really think much of it, but maybe my users do. And if Apple's going to force this, then okay, well, you know, I, I guess I'll at least take a few minutes and write up something about what the app collects. I think this is actually really a good thing. And I know, you know, some people get annoyed. Developers sometimes get annoyed about having to to talk about uh, privacy features when they don't really feel like they're violating anybody's privacy. But it's good. I, I think this is really good. Now, it, it gives a little more transparency for consumers and for, for end users who are deciding whether or not to download this app. Now they have a way that they can see what what exactly this app is collecting about them. As long as the developer is honest, you know, and and telling the truth about what it's collecting and when, then uh, it gives you some good insight into what's going on with this app. If people read it. If people read it, that is very true. Which in most cases they don't. Josh, do you have an iPhone eight? I I do. I have an iPhone eight. Apple announced that there is a problem with a very small percentage of iPhone eights with their logic board. And they've launched a repair program, and your iPhone will be eligible for a free repair. Now, it's worth noting that the iPhone 8's been out less than a year, so every country has a minimum of a one-year warranty on the iPhone, so you should be eligible anyway. But what's important to know is to find if your iPhone is one of those affected so you can get it fixed before you have a problem. We'll have a link in the show notes to the website that Apple set up where you can enter the serial number of your iPhone and see if it's affected. Did you do this with your iPhone yet? No, I actually I haven't yet. So I'm going to have to do that after the show. So here's a tip that you might not know. If you want to find your iPhone serial number, there's a couple ways to do it. 
One is you could do it in iTunes if it's connected to your Mac. But the other way is to go into the system preferences about. And when you find the serial number, tap and hold for about one second and it'll copy and you'll get a little pop-up that says copied. And then you can go to the website on your iPhone and just paste in the serial number rather than have to remember it or write it down or whatever. That's a great tip. I know it is. <laughs> this is something that you can't find, unfortunately, on the outside of your iPhone 8. Even if you have a magnifying glass, sorry, it's not It's not on the outside. You're going to have to get it through the software. I don't think they ever put them on the outside of iPhones. Did they? I'm not sure. Um, I know iPads, they, they have had serial numbers on the outside of iPads. And, I'm and... not even sure if they're on boxes anymore. Hmm. I just know that they're always available on the devices. Again, if you connect a device to iTunes, an iOS device, you'll find the serial number there. But I don't remember. I'll have to look at my box of Apple boxes after we finish recording and check it out. Right. So iOS 12 is coming out, and Apple regularly updates their iOS adoption percentage, their little pie chart. Apparently, 85% of people have updated to iOS 11 already, I'm not sure if this is higher or lower than previous operating systems at this time. 10% are still on iOS 10, and 5% are using older operating systems. This isn't really news, but it's just a reminder that Apple does constantly offer updates that are free and that you get as soon as they're available, unlike Android. One thing that's important to note here is that you cannot necessarily upgrade to the latest version of iOS if you have an older device. So I think probably the majority of the people who are on iOS 10 or earlier are still using some really old iOS device. They're using a really old iPhone that can't upgrade to iOS 11, or maybe they're using an iPad. For, for example, I have an old iPad that we really only use to you know, watch TV, basically. We watch Netflix or some other things like that. And the only thing that we're using it for is that it, it, we're not using it to browse, we're not using it for mail or anything. So we don't really need the security benefits that come with having the latest iOS on that particular device. But there are a lot of people who are still using an iPhone, maybe an iPhone 4 or 4S or one of those older models that cannot be upgraded to iOS 11. That's kind of a concern, really, that 15% of the iOS you know, user base is using an ancient version of iOS. I don't think ancient's a fair word because iOS 10 was only released two years ago. iOS 11 is less than a year old. Well, okay. But here, here's why I'm calling it ancient, because thinking about security vulnerabilities, there have been a ton that have been patched just since iOS 11 came out. Remember, we talked last year about the crack vulnerabilities. This was a, a series of Wi-Fi vulnerabilities that we talked about on the show. And those were patched in iOS 11.1. It wasn't even the first release of iOS 11. And there have been just tons of others that don't have quite the, the uh, amount of publicity that some of these named vulnerabilities have gotten. But if you think about it that way, then if you're still running iOS 10, that is kind of ancient from a, from a perspective of keeping your device secure. If you've got you know, all your email, you do all your browsing on it, uh, you really need to be using the latest version of iOS. Well, not everyone can afford to update to a new phone. I know we're talking about the 4S several years ago, but not everyone can afford it. Not everyone wants to spend the money. I'm going to tell you a secret. My son, who is like the ultimate Apple fanboy, he was using an iPhone 4S until a few months ago and it died. Someone he knows gave him, I think, an iPhone 5 or 5S. So he is up to date now. 
but he couldn't update at all. He just didn't want to spend the money on a new iPhone. Ah, uh, well, I'm cheap, but I'm not that cheap. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the new iPhone and all the other new Apple products that are going to be announced in just a few days. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Indigo's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So it's that time of year again. On Wednesday, Apple is going to do their big stage show. It's kind of like a Las Vegas thing here with without the song and dance and, and all that. They, they, they used to have songs, though, if you remember that back in the day. And it, it's become a sort of a ritual now that, you know, every year it's about a two-hour thing and it's the new iPhone and it's the new Apple Watch because it's that time of year too. And it's the new operating systems. It's Mojave and it's iOS 12. And there may be other new products as well. What are you excited about, Josh? You said before the break that you may be cheap. Are you interested in buying a new iPhone this year? Yeah, I actually am. Um, I'm thinking that it would be nice to have uh, some fancy new iPhone with, uh, you know, Face ID and all that. I've, I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, hmm, yeah, you know, I, I guess, I guess I'd be okay with Face ID. Well, I'm not too concerned about Face ID, but let, let's face it: in our position as people writing about studying security and all that, it is useful to have the latest product. Right. I'm just not sure that I really need a new iPhone, though. I've got the iPhone eight plus, and and I moved up from the iPhone SE. I was very recalcitrant about moving up from the small form factor, but I really appreciate the larger screen in the 8 Plus. And as I don't know if I've said on this show, but as I've said many times, if I didn't work at home, I wouldn't want a phone this big. But the fact that I do work at home means the phone is more often on my desk than in my pocket. So the size, if anything, makes it easier for me to deal with than having to carry it around and worry about dropping a heavy phone. But I'm not really, uh, the iPhone 10 or iPhone X, what I really don't like is the form factor, the fact that it's so narrow, that the width is so narrow compared to the height. Now, the, the rumors and the leaks suggest that we're going to see three different sizes. Apparently, the smallest one will be cheaper and won't have the OLED display. And then the two larger ones will be like the size of the 8 and 8 Plus, but bigger because it's the iPhone X. And 
Is it going to be called the iPhone XS Plus or the iPhone XS Max or the iPhone XS Plus or XS Max? Who knows? If they're putting an S after the X, then it's either the iPhone XS yes. or, or it's the iPhone XS, which either way, everyone's going to hate that name. So I really, really hope that they don't put an S after, but they probably will. Yeah. So you would buy an iPhone 10? Would you buy the the huge model, the clown shoe size version? Ay ay ay. So I've never been a fan of the big phones uh, that uh, a lot of people like. It's it's not for me. I, I I prefer a phone that I can easily fit in any pocket, and is not just some enormous thing that's the size of my hand. I, I I'm I'm not really into that. But remember that the iPhone 10 has smaller bezels and it's about the same width as your normal iPhone 8. And so the larger iPhone 10X whatever will be about the same size as my iPhone 8 Plus. So they won't really you you're getting a bigger screen with smaller bezels. So, you know, it it's a tough balance, I think. Again, for me, it's that the screen is too tall for the width. Yeah, maybe what I'll have to do is find somebody who gets the new one and kind of try it out. Or, or I guess I could go to an Apple store even and and play around with them and see. If you want to fight the crowd, sure. <laughs> and and see if... I'm sure it's going to be quite popular. Yeah, and, and see if it, you know, if it fits. I, I, I'm just not convinced I want to go with the larger size, but m- maybe I'll change my mind this time. So the other update that we know about is the Apple Watch. And there have been leaks, and particularly in Watch OS, showing that the resolution is going to be much larger. So the current resolution in pixels of the 42 millimeter, the larger Apple Watch, is 312 by 390. And the new one is going to be 384 by 480. That's a huge difference. We'll link to an article on Mac Rumors showing screenshots about how much bigger it is. But apparently the watch itself won't be bigger. This is because the bezels will be a lot smaller. And I'm guessing the pixels are going to be a little bit closer together as well. Because uh, I've got my watch on here. And I'm looking at these screenshots and thinking how much bigger this other one is, it would be like massive. So I don't think it's going to be that much bigger, but the, the, the pixels per inch will be better, which will make the display crisper. Now, the, the screenshots that we're talking about are just kind of mock-ups of what it might look like based on the leaked, you know, the supposed resolution that the next Apple Watch is going to have. It's kind of cool. I mean, I, I think one of the uh, supposedly leaked marketing materials that came out of Apple was uh, showing how you can add all kinds more complications. Like now now there's new ways to uh, show uh, a slider for the minimum and maximum temperature outside for the day and some, some interesting things like that. So you can, at a glance tell a lot more information than you could at a glance before. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to that. Website 9to5Mac somehow found some images of the Apple Watch and the, the forthcoming iPhone 10. What I find really interesting, you don't have an Apple Watch yet, do you? I do. I have a Series 1. That's old. You definitely need a new one. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it. it. It does what I need it to do. It, tells, it shows me the time. But that's and- old. I, I can I can press the you know the button and do the Siri thing and and you know that's it's good enough for me. You don't sound too impressed by the Apple Watch. Um, you know, I mean, it was always kind of something that was like to me, it was a nice to have, but not necessarily a necessity. Which is why I only got this Series One and not a fancier, newer, you know, more expensive model. Yeah, I have a fancy, expensive one with the little red dot on the thing there. Mine's cellular. Ooh, you've got a red dot. I've got a red dot. Did you know you can actually buy? A sticker to put on on your 
on your Apple Watch so that you the can... The stickers, I've seen that, yeah. yeah. People want to make theirs look like their cellular, yeah. So I've had the Apple Watch since the very first model, and I've gone back and forth on it, and it was finally last year that convinced me that this is something that I need to use all the time. On the one hand, the cellular, the, the cellular contract here is cheap. It's five pounds a month. It's added to my phone contract. And what this does is it gives me a backup phone in case something happens to my phone. And that alone is worth having for five pounds a month. Hmm. But the feature that really won me over was the simplest one of all, the fact that I can unlock my Mac with my Apple Watch. So when I come down to my office in the morning, I press the space bar on my keyboard. And as long as my Apple Watch is on and it's been paired with my phone and it's unlocked and all that, my computer will wake up. Now, I go in and out of my office or I'm on the phone or I'm reading things and I come back and I'm constantly waking it up and got to type the password. And so you don't want to have too complicated a password when you're typing it 25 times a day. With this, I've put a stronger password on both my Macs. In fact, I have a also a laptop. Sometimes I'm working on two Macs when I'm testing. And it saves me so much time to be able to just press a key and wake up my Mac. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a useful feature. And if nothing else, if you're the kind of person who does you lock your screen like that on a regular basis, which you, you should be. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast, yes, <laughs> we're, we should have convinced you by now that you probably should not be leaving your screen unlocked and walking away if there are other people around. Well, I work at home and the only people around are my cats, basically. Hey, and your cats, though. I know. They're smart. They are. Okay, so we got the iPhone, we got the Apple Watch. One thing that I think we're going to see, maybe not Wednesday, maybe it might not be presented on stage, it might be a week later or in a press release, is a new Mac Mini. And, you know, the last time the Mac Mini was updated was four years ago. That's an awful long time for a computer. It's not the computer that a lot of people use, though for a couple of years I used the Mac Mini as my main computer, as my desktop computer. It's often used by, it's used in data centers. There are companies that rent Macs like that. You can rent your own Mac mini server that you can control remotely, but it's mostly used by people putting media collections on their Mac mini, movies, music, a website that I go to regularly, computer audio file. Pretty much everyone there has a Mac mini to hold their files and they connect it to their stereo either directly or via Wi-Fi or whatever. So it's a hobby computer, but there are some really useful features in the Mac mini for a small business, for a home with a lot of media. And I think what Apple might be doing is there's going to be a new version of macOS Server. And we talked about this a few months ago, that they had removed a lot of the more powerful services from macOS Server. And then Apple said that the new version of macOS Server would be more about managing devices and storage. And I, and I kind of have a feeling that when the macOS Mojave Server comes out, there's going to be something in the Mac Mini that's going to leverage all of this. I think we've talked in the past about the fact that, you know, you've got kids and you've got lots of Apple devices and you need to back them up and you need to download updates. And it could be a way for Apple to create some sort of user-friendly home Apple hub that works together to manage all those devices more efficiently. What do you think about that? That could make sense. I mean, I'm kind of in, in some ways using my old uh, in desperate need of replacement iMac um, for some of those things. I turned on the Apple caching service, you know, which actually you don't even need the server app to do anymore. Having the server app, I think, gives you a little bit more control over the, the caching. But um, it is something that at least you can check a box now without even having the server app. Yeah, I find it doesn't always work for me. Yeah. It caches things, but it doesn't always provide them 
to my computers and my iOS devices. But one thing about that is every iOS device that's a different model downloads a different version of an app. So if you download a version of an app for your iPhone, it's not the same version for the iPad. So it's not going to be cached. It has to download a separate version. The, the other thing that it's definitely good for, as you mentioned, is a media server. So if you've got videos or audio files, music maybe that, that you want to have uh, available throughout your house, it's a great way to just have all of that stored in one place in one library so that you can stream it from anywhere. One thing I would really like Apple to do, and this doesn't affect me, but a lot of people are in a situation where they want to access a photo library. A husband and wife, they want to both access the photo library. And there's only two ways to do this. It's either each one has their separate iCloud account and their separate photo library, or each one uses the same iCloud account, which means messages, email, and all that get confused. It would be great if they could have some way to have a master photo library on a computer like that. And each person could choose what they're going to sort of like the way you choose what you sync from iTunes to an iOS device. So the other rumor that seems to be pretty reliable is a new MacBook Air, finally with a retina display. A lot of people I know are really interested in that, and they prefer the MacBook Air to the 12-inch MacBook. It could be the end of the road for the MacBook Air, to be honest, or is it the end of the road for the 12-inch MacBook? I mean, having three different types of laptops seems like a lot for Apple these days. My thought is that if they're going to update the MacBook Air, they're going to get rid of the 12-inch MacBook rather than keep both of them. But we'll see. I, I always liked the MacBook Air. I had the very first one. It was about 10 years ago, 2008. At the time, it was so light compared to everything else. It was just wonderful. But I stopped buying them because they were not retina displays. You know, once you go retina, you cannot go back. Yeah, one of the things that I think the original MacBook Air line had was uh, an 11-inch display option. And I remember that was something that was really popular because at the time, you know, netbooks were kind of a thing. You know, these like 9 or 10-inch displays on, on a PC laptop. And a lot of people liked the idea behind that because, hey, you've got your full physical keyboard, but you can take it with you everywhere you go, and it's light and easy to, to you know, to lug around with you as compared to a big old MacBook Pro or something with a 15-inch screen. So uh, when Apple came out with that 11-inch, that hit a certain niche. And I think there were a lot of people who were disappointed when Apple got rid of that particular screen size. Yeah. I have a friend who's been waiting to update his 11-inch MacBook Air for many years now. Yeah. He'll be very happy if there's a new one. I can't see Apple coming up with a new 11-inch MacBook Air, however. No. I think they've pretty much abandoned that size. I think you so. You know, if they shrink the bezels it's going to be smaller. It won't be that much bigger than the 11-inch. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, they, they could easily have a 13-inch that's roughly the same size, and that might you know work well for people. Yeah. Well, we'll see next week. I don't know if you're going to be watching it live on Wednesday, but I will because this is always interesting, you know, the big show, and it's all exciting, and there's these big reveals, and I kind of miss the one more thing bit at the end. You know, that was a Steve Jobs. They still sometimes throw that in. Oh, I mean, they haven't done that in years. I think Tim Cook did it once or twice. <laughs> it's not the same as when Steve did it, but yeah. It's not. I mean, Steve Jobs was, you know, he's the master showman, and he, he, he could always pull yeah. that off really well. So, Well, in any case, we'll talk about some of the new Apple stuff next week. One more little thing most of the podcast listeners don't know, but our executive producer, Derek Irwin, is leaving Intego, and this is his last podcast. We see Derek every time we record because we're all sitting here on Skype with video. So, Derek, it's been great working with you, and happy trails. Thanks, Derek. Good luck. So until next week, Josh, stay secure. Stay secure. 
Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>